Well, good morning, church. It is always a blessing for us to be together. It's especially a blessing this time of the year. I, uh, I grew up in uh, a branch of the Churches of Christ called the Anti-Institutional Churches of Christ. Can I show, see a show of hands of anyone who knows what that is? Okay, the Antis. That was our, sh- our nickname. Uh, that's a rough nickname, right? But it, it was the idea that we, we wanted the church to be the, the only institution on the face of the earth that was doing God's work. And so if it was God's work, it should be church work. And no other organization, whether that was a, a Christian university or whether that was uh, an orphan's home or whether that was some other charitable organization that was trying to help other people, the church I grew up in was convinced that that was an indictment on the church's failure to meet all of those needs. And you know, there's actually a good impulse there, right? The, the church, and not just the church universal, but the local church, wherever you happen to live, it should be a, a living, visible evidence that God loves us and longs for us to have our basic needs met, right? For community, for food, for shelter, for all of that's, that's great, right? But somewhere along the line, it became primarily not just that we were against other types of institutions, it was every other form of church. That, that's what we were, were actually against. And that was especially true when it came to times like Easter and Christmas, in fact, my father, to prove that he was not like any of the other denominations, he would preach on Christmas, the topic of Christmas at Easter. I'm not kidding. And he would preach about Easter at Christmas just to prove, right, we're not like any other church group out there. Now, the ironic thing that happened in my home growing up was because we were trying to be so different from every other church group that was was trying to, to focus on the story of Easter at Easter, if you could imagine that, and Christmas at Christmas. Christmas at the Robinson house was far more about Santa and Rudolph and the gifts we were going to give each other than Jesus. There was like a firewall between our faith in, in Jesus and what happened on December 25th. Now, my guess is I'm not the only person in this room that kind of has that history somewhere in, in the background. And so when you walk into a church building and the lights are dim and there's Christmas lights everywhere and trees, you start to think, oh no, what's, what's next? And I want you to know that this, this church is making an intentional choice to break down that firewall, right? To say, look, we all know that Santa and Rudolph and all that stuff, it's a lot of fun, but this is about Jesus. And I don't care who else celebrates Jesus right now. I'm going to celebrate him with them. Right? And so I hope that we're able to, especially in this month, as we get closer and closer to the 24th and then the 25th, that we have this growing sense of the miracle of the story and the ongoing miracle in my mind that what is to a large extent, a more and more secular world, right? There's an openness at this time of year. There's, there's, a, 
there's an opening at this time of year for us to say, you know, there's more to what's going on here than just the things we get to wrap and put under the tree. There was a son of God given for us, and he hung on a tree. And we want to share that story with you. Advent, this time of year, the church embraced it as far back as the fourth century to say, look, we know the world's celebrating all kinds of stuff right now. We want to recenter our hearts on the first coming of Christ, and we want to proclaim our expectation, our confidence in the second coming of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like it is central to my faith for me to have times every single year when my heart is drawn back to that hope that Jesus came once and I'm living like I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's coming again. And that anticipation that builds, right, that it's naturally building this time of year. It's, it's dangerous to dim the lights in December. People are going to sleep, Right? We are spread thin in December. We've got so many things going on. We're running around. We're worried about the supply chain, and we're looking for emails that say it actually shipped, and then the estimated shipping date, and making sure it's not changing. And in the midst of all that, right, we want to remind ourselves that we might be anticipating some, some great time with our family and our friends and, and giving gifts that honestly, at, at the best impulse, we give gifts so that we are enacting that we have a gift-giving God, Right? But it's all, it all pales in comparison to the truth that Jesus came into this world once. That his presence is still with us and yet we are anticipating, we are longing for the second coming of Christ where it won't just be something that you and I get to see glimpses of and moments of and, and we think that maybe we're sure that this is something that God's doing in our lives or in someone else's life, but he will come back in a way that nobody can deny, nobody can ignore, and everyone will see him for who he truly, truly is, right? The, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I hope that as we draw closer, as the world draws closer, that the church will find a way to be captured again by the power of the story of the gospel and that it isn't over yet. Now, what I want us to do this morning is I want us to focus on this idea of hope. This morning's hope. Next week, we're going to talk about peace. The week after that, we'll talk about joy. And then on the 26th, we'll be talking about love. Hope, peace, joy, love. And hope is at the center of what it means to be a people of faith. The Apostle Paul says we're people of hope because what we really expect to, to see unfold, it hasn't happened yet. You don't hope for things that have already happened. You hope for things that haven't happened yet, but you are certain that they will. And, and that's, that's true for us as Christians, but it's also true as we read the Old Testament that, that God's people have always been people of hope. That, that there are moments of God's undeniable presence, that there are moments of God's goodness breaking through, but again, they're just glimpses. They're fleeting moments. They're, they're not as full, and they don't last as long as we 
We believe they can and we believe they will. And so there's this ache inside of us that says, God, we love you and we believe that you love us. But when you look at our world and you look at the darkness in our world and you look at the brokenness in our world and you say that you love us and you care about us and you're coming back enough already, come back and fix all of this. Rescue us, deliver us. We've tried to save ourselves, God, over and over and over again and we just can't do it. And so we turn our hearts back to you. Help us. Redeem us. Bring us home. That that longing is at the heart of the Jewish faith as we read throughout the Old Testament. They're longing for God to show up in the form of a a special servant, a Messiah, who God is going to, to use to fix all the things that have gone wrong, to make them right again. And the only thing they're sure of is the Messiah hasn't come yet. So they keep asking. They keep longing. They keep hoping. And so I want us to read together in Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. He's speaking these words to people in, in Judah who are watching as there are military powers around them and they're gaining more and more power and they're applying more and more pressure and the people of Judah are afraid of what's going to happen next. And Isaiah says these words to them. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Can we say those four names together? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government or his reign and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, if you've still got your Bible open or your Bible app open, And you go back just a couple of chapters in Isaiah. You go back to Isaiah 7. You're going to find the first use of a name. A name for this child. In addition to these four important titles, and we're going to talk about those in just a moment, the name is Emmanuel. God with us. And here Isaiah says not only... Will this child be proof to us, evidence to us, that God is with us? He is given to us. Right? In other words, he's not just beside us. We belong to him, and he belongs to us. We're family. There's this unbreakable bond, this relationship that you and I couldn't create if we wanted to, that God creates. Between you and me and this child, this son. And and did you notice, by the way, that we don't have to wait for that relationship? We don't have to wait for that promise? 
It's in the present tense. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Now, here's the hard part. Everything that that child, that son is going to accomplish, it hasn't fully come true yet. The son is present. The son is with us. The son is for us. But he will have these titles, right? He will accomplish these things. The the zeal of the Lord will do these things. So there's this tension, there's this push and pull in our hearts where we have the Son in our lives, but the Son hasn't transformed the world and really hasn't fully transformed our lives the way he will one day. And so we choose hope because we have goodness. We taste that love. We experience that grace, but not all the way, not yet. Now, when you think about hope, and you think about the opposite of hope and what that does to you, right? The opposite of hope is despair. And brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter what year it is. It doesn't matter what's going around. There's always reason for us to despair. The people walking in what? In darkness. That's despair. But they see this great light. Now, when I think through my life, one of the key moments of despair that I, I ever experienced was uh, I, I grew up in a home where uh, my father's expectation of me when it came to school was that it should be too easy for me because he felt like it was too easy for him and I was his son. So I should, I should always get A's no matter what. I, in fact, I remember at one point I had a straight A report card, but I had one A minus, and he looked at it, and he shook his head, and he said, man, I don't know what went, what, what went wrong there. <laughs> so that's, I just want to give you a little bit of the background, right? I, I want to apologize to all of the math teachers. I'm just going to apologize I hate math. I don't hate you. I'm glad you're trying to teach people how to do math. I hate math. And it hates me back. (laughs) And so I was a a, a sophomore, and I had this math class, and I had this math teacher, and I hated every minute, algebra two, I hated every minute of it. I didn't care to solve for X or Y or whatever. I didn't care. And so I just didn't try. It was the first time in my life in school I just didn't try. And I thought, if I'm going to try my hardest, I get an A minus, and I'm still going to get, my father's going to be disappointed. Forget it. Yeah, I thought I had what it took to kind of live knowing that I was going to get a bad grade, but I, it, it got to where I couldn't sleep well. I, I was, I had a meeting with this teacher before my final, and she said, if you don't get 100 on this final, you're going to get a D. The lowest grade I'd ever had was an A minus. I said, a D? She said, yeah, a D. And I thought, I don't know. So I started trying to figure out what's going to happen. I'm not going to get 100. I mean, I, I don't even know what I got. But I tried my hardest on the final, and then I got nervous because I'm old enough that I grew up at a time when they mailed the report card home, the last report card. 
I basically set up shop next to our mailbox. <laughs> Dad's like, why are you always out there trimming the grass? and the, what, what is going on? Oh, nothing, nothing. I just want to be kind of out over there. So I intercepted. Every day I waited. I intercepted that report card and I shredded it. So not only am I bad at math, I'm bad at logic. <laughs> right? Because I'm thinking my dad's just going to accept that the post office lost it and he just won't try to find out. Right? So he, he starts to ask me, hey, do you know, have you seen your report card? It should come by now. This is getting farther and farther into the summer. And I, when I got the report card, by the way, I had a D minus in that class. So you know I didn't do any, any help at the final. And so he, he just kept asking me. He got to where he was asking me like three or four times a day. And finally, I, brought, I, I mean, I was sick with just feeling like, I'm not, I don't know what's going to happen here, but this is probably the end of my run. And finally, one night at dinner, I confessed. And he pulled out a copy. He had gone to the office and picked it up. And he'd had it for weeks. That's despair. <laughs> hey, that's not hope. Let, let me tell you about hope for a second. So I've told you before, but when I uh, was 29 years old, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Lauren was seven months pregnant with Riley. And when you're diagnosed with cancer, as many of you know in this room, you have these moments where uh, you have some answers, but the answers always have a bunch of questions attached to them, and so you feel like you just, it's a bunch of hurry up and wait. And so I had a surgery, uh, I, I had to have another procedure to deal with my kidney stones, and then finally I had a surgery where they removed a template, a template of lymph nodes to make sure they were clear. Right? That was the place that the cancer was supposed to go next if it was spreading. And I remember getting ready for that procedure and all the questions I had and all the, the fears that I had. And, and I was really frustrated with God, to be honest with you, that I was going through that. But even, even though I was frustrated with God, I still wanted God on my side. So I was still talking to him. And a bunch of other people, a bunch of other fellow Christian brothers and sisters were also speaking to God on my behalf, right? And, and yet I still knew, you know, that there are times when we ask for God to do something and it doesn't happen in the timing that we want. It doesn't unfold in exactly the way that we want. But I, I knew the hope of my heart was that, that this would be it. That, that they would do this surgery and they would look at my lymph nodes and, and they would tell me, that everything was, was clear and it was okay. And I can't tell you, waiting on the pathology of that report to come back, how slow time got and how my mind just ran to all these crazy scenarios. And I will never forget when my doctor came into my, my hospital room and said to me, Jared, everything's clear. And then, but, but then like with all cancers, right, you've got a, a time period of observation. And so for the next five years, I had all these tests every so often. I would do pretty well until about three days or so before the test. 
And my mind would start to get the best of me again, and I'd start to worry and, and be afraid. And I know some of you are in that part of the journey right now. But I look back, and I couldn't know for certain. But I could hold on to hope. In fact, there were times it was all I could hold on to. Now, all of us, at some time or another in our lives, whether it's an illness or our marriage is struggling or maybe a relationship falls apart, I, I don't know. We all have moments where we've got despair and hope and it's kind of wrestling inside of us and we have a decision that we're, we're going to make. And brothers and sisters, we have to find a way to choose hope. Even when the, the evidence doesn't point us that direction, even when there's all kinds of questions that nobody can give us clear answers, we, we want to be people who choose hope because we have this son, we have this child in our lives, and you know who he is to us? You know who he's going to prove himself to be to you? Well, first, he's going to prove that he's a wonderful counselor. right? In other words, he's a, a wise mentor, He's somebody that when you don't know what else to do and, and you are, are reaching the end of yourself and you know that you, you need guidance, that whether it's in, inside of your own heart, inside of your own soul, or whether it's because he places someone in your life to speak just the right words at just the right time, I promise you, brothers and sisters, when we find ourselves where we don't know what to do, Jesus will prove himself to be for us this wise Mentor who shows us how to take the next step. But he's not just that, right? Mighty God. The idea here is that, that he's a strong protector. That in a world filled with darkness and danger and, and all of the, the times where you and I might feel like the, the whole world is kind of stacked against us, we have someone in our corner we have someone fighting for us, fighting alongside of us. You are never alone, and you are especially never alone when it's darkest. We have this mighty, strong protector, everlasting father, right? a steadfast provider. All of us reach points in our lives where we just, we don't know how we're going to keep going. We, we don't know that we have the resources it takes. We, we don't know if we can get our hands on the resources it's going to take. And Jesus, for us, finds a way time and again to take care of us in a way that nobody else can. The Prince of Peace. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you believe in God or you don't. I promise you, one thing everybody longs for in a conflict-violent world like ours is peace. And the only way we're ever going to experience it is through Jesus. It's the only way anyone experiences it now. They don't know it all the time. But he's that peacemaker. And, and how long can we expect to have that experience in our lives? Well, Isaiah says, there will be no end. And I think he's saying this in two ways. First is... He says that of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. I, I think part of what he's saying is it's for everyone. There is no boundary. 
There is no one who's left outside of the gracious reign of Jesus. If they're willing to accept him, if they're willing to be open to him, he will receive them no matter where they come from or what they've been through or what they're struggling with. There is this invitation, and it's not just for us. right? To us, the son is given. To us, the child is born. No, it's not. It doesn't just mean us in here. It means us, everyone. And I think he means for forever. That when that day finally comes, when we don't just have glimpses of it or fleeting moments of experiencing this, this wise mentor and this steadfast you know, uh, provider and this, this mighty protector and, and the prince of peace, but it will be our everyday, all the time experience, not just once, but for all of eternity. I want us to hold on to that because brothers and sisters, the hope that, that Christ gives us, it isn't, it isn't wishful thinking about what might happen. It is this unshakable confidence in what God says will happen. And we're going to build our future on that confidence. And we're going to build our future on that confidence so securely that it's going to start changing how we're living in the present. It's going to change how we feel about the present. Look, I, I think it's important for us to know that hoping feels more like waiting than already having. And we live in a world that loves to already have. Right? So we, we grow tired of waiting. We get fed up with it. But this season, the season of Advent reminds us that we are called to keep holding on. Here's what I want to make really clear to you. If you get tired of waiting, do you know what you start to do? You settle. You settle and you accept the world and your life just the way it is right now. And you start trying to tell yourself a version of a story that says this really is as good as it gets. No wonder our world is disappointed. No wonder we at times are struggling with disappointment. Brothers and sisters, I know we have moments in our lives. We just, we just had a series where we focused on naming those moments in our lives of goodness that we can be thankful for. But brothers and sisters, we're not talking about moments. We're talking about forever. We're talking about this unshakable experience of Jesus who is with us and for us and holding us together and helping us overcome whatever it is we face. Don't settle for your life or for this world for the way it is right now. Keep hoping for something better. That is our faith. And it's not because you and I are going to make it happen. It's not because, you know, you're, you're going to finally crack the code for the perfect family Christmas. At its best, our celebration of Christmas is a foretaste of how it's going to be forever for all of us. It's partial. It's incomplete. I mean, how can you actually find happiness in something you could buy with money? But it's a stand-in, right? It's, it's a symbol. It represents to us that however much goodness you've had in your life, there's more to come. And there will be no end. So keep choosing hope. Don't settle. 
Don't accept things for the way they are right now. Think about, don't you want a world, don't you want a future where people love one another regardless of what race they are? I don't mean they tolerate it or they use you know, careful language when they're talking to one another. I'm, that, that, I get all that. I'm talking about we deeply love one another regardless of where we come from or what heritage we have or what our cultures might be. Don't you want a world that's, that's past all that? I do. Don't you want churches that are, are all about and focused on, I mean laser focused on helping other people experience through every single one of us the goodness and the grace of Jesus every single time they interact with us? I don't want to give up and settle for a church that, you know, we're, we're pretty nice to one another while we're here. That's what I'm talking about. We settle for things that are far too small and then we're disappointed. We should be disappointed. You were made for more than this. You were created for something better than this. And God is promising that it's coming, that he's coming. So brothers and sisters, keep waiting. I know it's difficult, but waiting is better than embracing the brokenness of the world and calling it good. Hold on to hope. Because hope is holding on to every single one of us. And he will not let go. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, my prayer for every single person in this church is that we will will lean in to that future that God promises to make come true. We'll look for it. We'll look for it not only with, with our eyes, but we'll look for it with our hearts, with our souls, so that when it comes, we'll know. And we'll finally be at home. Let's stand and sing together.